The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory be to Thee, O Lord. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Imagine that you have a beloved, a friend, a parent, a child, someone in your life, your spouse, who is suffering from a terminal illness. Everything's been tried. It's all a lost cause. There's nothing left to do. They're on their deathbed. They're lying there on their deathbed. And you kneel down beside them and you say a prayer. You pray, I was looking just now for the prayer from the hymnal. You pray one of these prayers from the hymnal concerning health and wellness. You pray that God would visit your beloved in their distress. That he would assure them of his mercy, deliver them from the temptations of the evil one, and give him patience and comfort in their illness. And, if it please you, restore him to health. Or give him grace to accept this tribulation with courage and hope. A wonderful thing to pray. Heal this, my beloved, please. Or, if not, grant that this tribulation be received with patience and hope. What a faithful prayer that is. You kneel beside your beloved and you pray this prayer. And then, everything changes. Imagine, everything changes. All of a sudden, the, face, the color returns to your beloved's face their heart rate increases, their breathing becomes less labored. They sit up in bed and they look at you and they say, I feel fine. What's happened to me? How, how can this be that I feel fine? I'm well. And doctors come in and they probe and they prod and they say, this is, frankly, a miracle. We've never seen anything like this before. We'd written them off as dead and gone. It was just comfort care at this point. But now, a new lease on life, a miracle. Has happened. Imagine that that were the case. Imagine that such a story occurred in your life. It's not impossible. We hear these things all throughout the scriptures. We hear about them, in fact, in the church even nowadays. Miracles of healing. Imagine that. You would come to church and you would tell everyone here just what had happened, how your beloved had been healed miraculously. What a miracle it was. I mean, you wouldn't stop here within these four walls, right? You would tell everyone you met. God had saved your beloved by a miracle. What once seemed like the end has become a new beginning. You would proclaim it from the rooftops. All kinds of attention 
all kinds of joy. Imagine that. Now, it's important also to recognize that even with all of that attention and all of that joy, even in the case of such a stunning miracle, things do kind of fade after a while. The marvel kind of fades after a while. Maybe you have experienced even somewhat miraculous things in your life and have forgotten about them, or at least the memory of them has faded. The, the sparkle, the splendor of that miracle has been lost over time. It seems kind of ordinary and common. That is what happens, even in the case of the miracles that Jesus performed in the gospel. People forgot about them. They forgot about them, and they began chanting, crucify him, crucify him. They forgot about them, those kinds of miracles. Nonetheless, you would marvel. We would all marvel if such a miracle took place. But something would have been overlooked. If you came to church after such an occasion, you brought your loved one with you and said, God saved this person by a miracle. That was an amazing thing, and you should all praise God for this miracle. There's something which would have been overlooked that I want to pay close attention to today, something which actually rarely gets noticed. A greater miracle, a far greater miracle than someone on their deathbed sitting up and becoming well, a far greater miracle, and it's this. It's that you knelt down and prayed beside your beloved. It's that you trusted in God. Faith, trust in God, is a greater miracle than God raising the dead, than Jesus healing the sick, than Jesus restoring to health. Faith, the fact that anyone can pray to God, the fact that you can pray to God with confidence and assurance, knowing that he is your dear father and that you are his dear child, that is a greater miracle so often overlooked. And today, today I want you to pay close attention to that miracle. I want you to treasure it for all that it's worth. More valuable than having the sick healed and the dead raised, more valuable than that is the new heart that you have been given by God's Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Now, you might say, look, kneeling down and praying beside my beloved, that's a very common thing. Everyone prays. And this is, in fact, one of the reasons why faith is overlooked as a miracle. We presume that it is very common and unimpressive. Look, everyone prays, even people who don't go to church, people who claim they don't believe in God, everyone prays, and in a moment of despair, everyone's going to call out to God, what's so impressive about that? What's so miraculous about that? And therein lies one of the myths, one of the troubles that we have with faith. We assume that it is common, but it is not. True faith is rare. Jesus puts it this way, many are called, but few are chosen. And Jesus himself wonders in his ministry, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will there be anyone who believes in him? True faith is a rare thing. For the rest of the world who does not trust in God, when they kneel down beside their beloveds and they cry out out of despair, that is not faith. Despair is not faith. It is hopelessness. That is the opposite of faith. Saying that you believe in God, that you believe God exists, that is not faith. St. James, I've repeated this to you countless times, I know. St. James says, even the demons believe that God exists. That's not faith. Faith is trusting, as the prayer from the hymnal expresses, trusting that God can even work a sickness and death 
for good. That in all things, God is working for the good of his beloved, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's what faith says. Faith does not throw up its hands in despair and say, say, I I can't do anything but pray now. That's the only thing that's left for me to do is to just hope against hope. That's not faith. Faith trusts in God first of all. Faith trusts in God before any effort is made, any work is done, any hope is placed in anything else, the doctors, the medicine, the surgery. Faith trusts in God first and commends it all to his care. And that is a rare thing. It is rare in our world. It's a treasure. It's hidden and precious. And we often console ourselves about loved ones who have departed from the faith. We often console ourselves by saying things like, I know, I know that deep down inside they believe. I know that deep down inside they do trust in Jesus. They know that God exists. They, they know all of the things. We often console ourselves, and that's one of the reasons why we value faith so little, is because we think that it is so common, and we think that it exists where it does not. It's like somebody saying that they love baseball. I love baseball. I love playing baseball. When what they mean is they love playing video games of baseball. Or they love watching baseball on TV. That's not the same thing as actually playing the game. Saying that you believe in God is not the same thing as actually trusting in God. Even the demons believe in God. It takes a miracle to trust in him. And it is a miracle that is more astounding than even healing the sick. So you remember the story of the house that Jesus was in, which had a roof on top of it and crowds all crowding, pushing in on Jesus. And there were some friends who brought the paralytic friend, a guy who couldn't walk. They brought him to Jesus and they couldn't find a way to get in to the room. And so they went up on the roof and they removed the thatching from the roof and they lowered the guy down on a stretcher. And he was presented before Jesus so that Jesus could heal this paralytic man. There's faith right there, bringing him to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? For that man, the first thing he did was he walked up to him and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. The primary thing, the first thing that is received by faith, the forgiveness of sins, before healing, before miracles, before signs and wonders, the forgiveness of sins received by faith. And everyone around Jesus, all of the Pharisees and the rulers, they said, this is hypocrisy or this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so Jesus condescended to their level. He said, look, if you are unimpressed by the forgiveness of sins, let's try something else. And he said to the young man, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And he did this kind of stunt for them to show them that he means what he says and that he has authority over even the sins which were more grievous than this man's paralysis. It didn't matter. It didn't matter whether that man walked. What mattered was that he trusted in Jesus. And it was an uncommon thing. All of those around Jesus and that poor, paralyzed man, they didn't think it was valuable. They wanted something else. They wanted something flashy. They wanted something that they thought they could be masters of. This is another one of the reasons why we value faith so lightly. It's because we think that it's ours. That it's something that we can create and that we can maintain. And so we talk about whether or not we believe. You walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, do you believe in God? And they answer the question the same way they might ask Answer the question if you said, did you pick up milk on your way home from work today? Yes, of course I pick up milk on the way home from work. Yes, of course I believe in God, as though it is the most natural and ordinary thing there ever was, when in fact, it is not. It is uncommon and extraordinary, and it is a gift 
Which is why when people depart from the church or depart from faith and they say things like, look, I've never lost my faith. I never gave it up. I never stopped believing in God. The mistake is in who's doing all of the action in those sentences. I, I, I. As though their faith is something that they can hold on to. They can create. They can possess. Saying your prayers at bedtime, saying a prayer of desperation beside the bedside of your beloved on their deathbed, that is not the same thing as faith. You can't breathe out without breathing in. You need God's word. You need him to deliver faith to you. You need his spirit to give it to you. And you need it more than you realize. That's perhaps one of the things that also leads us to undervalue faith. We think that it's not enough. We think there are other things we need more than faith. Material things, the things of this life, health, wellness, something flashy, something splendid, something that catches our attention. But what do we need most of all? Very simply, to trust in God. That's our greatest need. And it is so great that it puts every other need to shame, utterly to shame. You can go without anything else but this. You cannot go without faith in God. Now, why all of this on Pentecost? Well, the reason is very simple. When we think little of faith, when we don't reckon it for the miracle that it is, when we think that it's ours to create and maintain, when we think that it's common and ordinary, it's not just about faith, but it's also about the Holy Spirit. When we think little of faith, we are thinking little of the Holy Spirit, which is, of course, to think little of God. As though the works that he has chosen to do among us, the works of creating and sustaining faith by his word, as though those are trivial. Anybody could do that. But that's not the case. God's work among us is the most important, most significant. Here's how we put it. In the third article of the Creed, when we confess the Holy Spirit, Luther explains that we're saying, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. We confess. When we confess the creed, as we did just a moment ago, we confess that the fact that any of us has any inclination to listen to God's word or trust in him whatsoever, that is all from, as a gift from God, because on our own, by our own devices, we are enemies of God and despise his word and want nothing to do with him. But, but, praise God, the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. It's all to his credit. Every last bit of it. If only we would remember that. If only we would remember that every last shred of faith and trust in God is a gift that he has given to us by his spirit, then we would order our lives more properly. We'd receive everything else as a gift from him. The good times and the bad, the troubles and the joys, we'd receive it all if we knew how dearly he paid to give us this most precious gift. Forgetting that, forgetting that is trouble. I was thinking about what it's like to teach a kid to hit a baseball. So you put the ball on the tee, because you start out simple. You put the ball on the tee, and then the kid comes up with the bat, and of course when he swings the bat, he's not great, great aim. Uh, and so he hits everything except for the ball, right? So you walk up behind your child while he's got the bat in his hands, and you grab onto the bat with him. And then you help him. You guide the swing so that he hits the ball and hits a home run every time. Now imagine that that kid, and this is exactly what happens with kids, imagine that that kid said to himself, I hit a home run, <laughs> and forgot, 
forgot that the reason he was able to hit a home run, the reason he was able to make contact at all, was because his dad was swinging with him. Imagine that he forgot. Imagine that he thought to himself, look at me, I'm a slugger, I'm Babe Ruth. I can go hit this ball all on my own. Forget Dad, Dad, would you leave me alone? Again, this is exactly what kids do. Dad, I don't need your help anymore. And what do they do? They whiff. They miss entirely. They've forgotten. But the reason why they were able to hit a home run, make contact at all, is because Dad was swinging with them. Now, of course, the kid has to play along, right? Nothing worse than trying to get a kid to swing a bat when he doesn't want to swing it. The kid has to play along. And this is how you work together with the Spirit. The Spirit comes along and gives you faith. He takes a hold of your hands and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust in God now. And you say, Amen. Thank you so much. Show me how. Teach me how. And this is why we celebrate Pentecost. Because on this day, in the early church, God poured out his Spirit on all flesh. So that you and I, who have nothing to do with God or his people, you and I have become children of God. God poured out his Spirit on all flesh so that all who call on the name of the Lord, a very low bar indeed, all who call on the name of the Lord might be saved. God poured out his Spirit on all flesh so that for you and me, who are blind and deaf on our own, for you and for me, the words of God's book, his holy book written for our sake, have been opened to us so that we can see on every page the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Without the Spirit, it's a closed book. It's a closed book, you cannot understand it. You have eyes and you cannot see, and ears you cannot hear, and you cannot perceive and understand. But by God's Spirit, you have been given this grace to know the depths of God's love for you. Do not count that a light thing. There's so much more to plumb in the depths of God's love for you. That's what we're doing all the time. Diving deeper and deeper into God's love, going further and further into God's kingdom. That is God's gift to us, that it is a never-ending journey. But never forget, never forget that even beginning the journey at all was God's gift to you. It's all aimed, all of this, all of God's work for you is aimed at teaching you to trust in him. That's why the proclamation is the forgiveness of sins, that you've been set right with God. But there is nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth, neither powers or principalities nor angels nor demons nor nothing else in all of creation, nothing, not even death itself, can separate you from God's love. That is meant to teach you to trust in him. That is meant to give you peace. Here's what Jesus delivers in John chapter 14 when he promises his spirit. He's getting ready to die on the cross and then after dying and rising to ascend to the right hand of his father, he promises peace. Not as the world gives, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that is miraculous. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And you say, how can I not let my heart be troubled? There's trouble all around. There's trouble everywhere, trouble in my life, trouble in the world. There are plenty of things to trouble my heart. But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled because he has given you his spirit, the helper, who has promised to teach you all things that you need for faith and for love. And so, today and every day, pray that God would continue to send you his spirit. Pray that just as he gave you his spirit when he washed you and made you his child, he would continue to give you his spirit to the end of your days so that you would grow in faith towards him and love for your neighbor. Do not forget what a miracle it is. Don't forget what a miracle it is that you trust in God. Praise be to God that he has counted us worthy to trust in him. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. 
Amen.